Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, September 8th. The semifinals are set at the 2021 U.S. Open. It's a couple of teenagers dominating the headlines in the women's singles competition. Yesterday, it was Layla Fernandez earning a third consecutive three-set victory over Alina Svitolina. Today, it's 18-year-old British sensation Emma Raducanu, her eighth consecutive straight-set victory, this time over her toughest opponent to date, in Belinda Bencic, of course, on today's show, I want to talk about Radikanu's performance, where she goes from here, what we should expect from her in the immediate future, not only where she can be competing now with this result, what it does for her ranking, but of course, in the near future, we now have an eight-match sample size here at the U.S. Open. We have the data from Wimbledon, her run to the Chicago 125K final. What do we make of Amaradikanu's breakthrough 2021 season. I want to discuss that on today's show. Of course, I also have to discuss the performance of Novak Djokovic. He flipped the switch, turned it into top gear, and wins a four-set match yesterday over Matteo Berrettini after dropping that first set. Djokovic went into brick wall mode, and of course, he is now two matches away from history. Not only would he be the first since Rod Laver to complete the Golden Slam, he would also eclipse both Federer and Nadal with his 21st Grand Slam title overall in his career. History on the line over the next few days at the U.S. Open. Of course, now Djokovic will have his toughest test to date as he's going to take on the man who beat him at the 2021 Olympics, Alex Zverev. Zverev, another straight set victory, this time over Lloyd Harris. A little bit of drama in that first set tiebreaker. 6-5, Harris is serving for the breaker. There's a pause in the action. Zverev asking for a monitor uh, in the stadium to be turned off. It was distracting him. Was that a strategic pause? Was it malfeasance? Of course, how did Zverev look the rest of the match on his way to that straight set victory? I'll discuss that on today's show, the victory of Maria Sakkari. We're going to run through all four semifinals as there were only four singles matches on the day. Of course, if you're looking for preview content of day 11 of our women's singles semifinal matches, I will immediately direct you over to the Great Shot podcast feed. Our GSP Ace of the Day segment will be acting as de facto preview segments moving forward. I will break down each day's matches, not only talk about them in relation to the odds, but break them down from a tactical standpoint, talk about each player's recent results. Essentially, you'll get two mini matches of the day segments within that GSP Ace of the Day podcast. So if you're looking for preview content, the GSP uh, podcast feed is where to turn to. We're going to stick to mostly recapping here, previewing there. Of course, you can find all of that content on our website, CrackRackets.com, where you're also going to find a couple of Cracked interviews we have done of late. We've had the chance to speak with a bunch of
of coaches from throughout the college tennis world dating back to my trip to the USDA Boys 16s and 18s National Championships in Kalamazoo. We also had the chance to speak with a bunch of players at an EXO event. We worked the Lotto Elite Pro Challenge in uh, Pennsylvania. I am heading this weekend down to Knoxville for the Knoxville Showdown. It'll be the Tennessee men, Columbia men, Pepperdine men, and Kentucky men competing in a fantastic weekend of college tennis. You're going to be able to follow all of that action, by the way, on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. It'll go uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday morning. Perfect opportunity for you to get your tennis fix before, of course, in the afternoon, in the early evening, all eyes turn to New York. But again, Knoxville showdown coverage had the chance to speak with associate tennis head coach James McKay for the Tennessee men about that event. You can find that conversation on the Cracked Interviews podcast. You can find all of those conversations also on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, last but not least, before I get into today's show, I do want to remind all of you that the reason we are able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from you listeners, because of the support we get from our Crack Rackets page. Patreon family, who we are always immensely grateful for their support. And of course, we're always grateful for the support here on the Mini Break Podcast that we get from our friends at Tennis Point as well. You know, it's the best in the business, best equipment, cheapest prices. And look, it matters. If you're not feeling confident on court, you're already losing that day's matches. You're already losing that tennis session because confidence is everything in tennis. And, you know, It's true. If you feel like you look good on the court, you are going to play better on the court. If you are comfortable with your racket, comfortable with the strings, comfortable with the grip you're using, you're just going to enjoy yourself that much more while you're playing this beloved game. So go to tennis-point.com right now, the symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com, and treat yourself. You've earned it at this point of the year. You use our promo code CR15 on checkout as well. You'll be saving yourself some money, 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. Is there anything I've said in the past minute that you don't like? I certainly hope not because, again, our friends at Tennis Point, the best in the business, we are so grateful for their support. The least we can do, ask you to support them as well. Tennis-Point, the symbol, not the spelling. Tennis-Point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's get into day 10 of the 2021 U.S. Open. Now, typically on these podcasts, I try to incorporate some chivalry. My mother raised me correctly. Ladies first, always. However, the biggest storyline on day 10 has to be the fact that Novak Djokovic looks ready for the home stretch. You look for Djokovic on day 10. He earned another four-set victory at the majors this season over Matteo Berrettini, his third consecutive major with a four-set win over the Italian. This time, Berrettini, much like Wimbledon, earns the first set over Djokovic 7-5. From there, Djokovic turns it into top gear, and he earns the next three sets 6-2, 6-2, 6-3. I mean, Novak Djokovic he turned it on. This was the first performance because you look across the board, and yes, he lost a first set against Jensen Brooksby uh, in round four before winning the next three sets. Ditto, by the way, against Kane Nishikori in the third round. And what's so amazing for Novak Djokovic, he's now 80-12 and 12 in his career at the U.S. Open, 
was 10-10 and 10 in his career at this event after dropping the first set coming into the 2021 tournament. He's now won three consecutive matches after dropping the first set. And what was so noticeable, uh, notable for him after the match were his comments to the press. He says, look, when I dropped the first set, I just went to a different level and I stayed there till the last point. That's something that definitely encourages me and gives me a lot of confidence prior to the semifinals. He also said, I know what my strengths are. I stick to them. I've worked over the years to perfect my game so that my game can have literally no flaws. And while, of course, that's a bit hyperbolic, that second statement, those two comments in the press epitomize what we saw from Djokovic's performance on day 10. Simply put, he was exceptional. In sets two, three, and four, and I mentioned this in my preview yesterday of this match, but and I mentioned it for our Patreon listeners on our Patreon match of the day. Uh, we've now seen three consecutive tournaments. The pinpoint accuracy with which Novak Djokovic can say, hey, Matteo, I know your serve's elite. He's one of three players, Matteo Berrettini, to hold over 90% of the time. I know your first forehand is elite. I'm going to take those two things away from you. And for Novak Djokovic throughout the course of the match, his ability to just get the return and, uh, you know, and use his return to get the point to neutral and just get that ball either deep at the feet of Matteo Berrettini or more particularly into the backhand corner for Matteo Berrettini. And that made the match, you know, and that neutralized everything Matteo Berrettini wanted to do in the match because you look for him, what was he so effective at at the start? It was the the first serve and the plus one ball. He was so good in that first set. He makes 63% of his first serves, wins 64% of his first serve points, which of course is on the lower end for Matteo Berrettini, but against Novak Djokovic, a locked-in Djokovic, you take that sort of performance, wins 57% of his second serve points as well, fights off both break points he faces with big first serves, seven aces on the day, uh, in the set, excuse me, 14 winners against 16 unforced errors versus Djokovic's 15-17 spread. Berrettini was dictating in set number one. In his service games, he was playing on his terms and, you know, going after the first forehand. In particular, his ability to use his inside-out first forehand to open up the inside-in, open up the cross-court, open up, you know, the -the down-the-line shots he wanted to play— Everything was that much more effective. He was locked in. And it was a 77-minute first set or 73-minute whatever it was where, you know, Djokovic had a couple of chances. Berrettini fought them off. Then Berrettini had his chances down the home stretch. And he capitalized by breaking Djokovic in the five-all service game and, you know, serving out this set, which is immensely difficult to do. 4-7-5, fighting off a couple of breakpoint chances for Djokovic to get back on serve, force a breaker. And, you know, again... Against Novak Djokovic, I mentioned it, 80-12 and now in his career in U.S. Open matches, 79-12 and heading into this. You know, 10 of those losses came for him after he lost the first set, given he was 12-10 and in first, uh, after losing the first set coming into this one. That means he was, what, 67-2 and when he's won the first set against Novak Djokovic. You may not beat him if you lose the first, uh, if you win the first set, but you're definitely not going to beat him if you do lose the first set. So for part one for Matteo Berrettini, he gets the job done. And you look for Novak Djokovic here during this 2021 season at the Grand Slams. What's been so fascinating and just, again, another just ridiculous statistic for him at these majors is how many times he has gone four sets uh, in these matches. You look for him. This is his 11th four-set win 
at these Grand Slams. He's not, you know, just coasting through every match on his way to the final and then getting tested by the Rafas and the Zverevs and the Tsitsipases of the world. No, you know, for him in Australia, round two, fourth round, quarterfinals, he goes fourth sets. He also played a five-set match, round three, in Australia. You look for him, Roland Garros, four sets against Matteo Berrettini, obviously four sets against Rafa. He gets pushed hard in both of those matches. Wimbledon. Only drops two sets, but it was in the first round match and the final match. He's gone four sets now in four different matches here at the 2021 U.S. Open. And yet, it still feels like this was the first time Novak Djokovic turned it on at this event. And you look for Djokovic, what was so notable in this performance, I mentioned it. 17 unforced errors for him in uh, in set number one. Three unforced errors in set two. Three unforced errors in set three five unforced errors in set four. So after making a total of 17 unforced errors in the first set, he makes 10 the rest of the way. He can still hit that plane, folks, where just physically he locks in, mentally he locks in, and you're just not going to beat him over the next three hours by, you know, unless you play extraordinary peak tennis. And that's not what Matteo Berrettini did in sets two, three, and four, because Djokovic, again, from a return standpoint, he locked in the rest of the way. And I mentioned Berrettini in his first set went 64% of his first serve points. He ends up at a 60% clip from the ma- for the match. I mentioned the seven aces he hits in set one. Over the next three sets, he only hits 10. You know, uh, 42 winners for him against 43 unforced errors versus uh, Djokovic, who the rest of the way sets two, three, and four, you know, hits 29 uh, winners against 10 unforced errors. Djokovic just, he stopped missing. He locked in with the depth of his ground strokes, started changing direction, started finding the backhand corner, but not be intimidated by the Berrettini forehand either. He found that backhand corner so that Berrettini would hit this slice to open up an inside-in forehand, to open up a down-the-line backhand. Or if Berrettini went down the line, Djokovic was hitting his cross-court forehand today. So he was winning the exchanges on the forehand wing with Matteo Berrettini. If Berrettini's not winning forehand-to-forehand exchanges with Djokovic, he's got no shot in this matchup. And again, it was a testament to Djokovic who brought his A-game today, who made it make sense that when you look at his numbers here in 2021, yes, he's one of two players. It's he and Medvedev, the only two players who are top 10 in both hold percentage and break percentage. But what's been so confounding is that for Djokovic, despite at times not looking like the guy he did in 2015 or 2011, 2012, which, by the way, half a decade and a decade ago can make sense he doesn't look like that guy anymore, match in, match out— and yet, in the biggest moments, he can still find that peak level. And that's why his hold percentage, 87.2, is above his career high this year. His break percentage, 34.4, above his career high. First serve win percentage is above his career high. Service points one, return points, total points one in general per match. All of them above his career high. You look for him now in 2021. Novak Djokovic is 43-5. and five. 43 and 5 folks. He hasn't lost a match at a Grand Slam. He is two victories away from earning the calendar slam, from winning four consecutive majors for the second time in his career as well, from eclipsing Federer and Rafa major number 21. 
This is the storyline of storylines. And, of course, you look for Novak Djokovic by beating Berrettini. It was his 224th win. 224 wins against top 10 opponents. That ties Roger Federer for the record. They are both 46 uh, top 10 wins ahead of third place Rafael Nadal. You look for Novak Djokovic now. He spent 13 hours, 52 minutes on court through the quarterfinals. That's a lot of court time. That's, I believe, more than four hours than his opponent in the semifinals, Alex Zverev, will have spent. He's dropped four sets in five victories. However, just a data point for all of you to keep in mind, he played 14 hours, 41 minutes. So, you know, 49 more minutes of tennis at the 2021 Australian Open through this point. He'd also dropped an additional set to this point. He dominated Karatsev in the semifinals and Medvedev in the final of that tournament. Djokovic is turning on the peak performance and obviously for the rest of the field. That is a scary, scary thought. Now, of course, it's worth noting Matteo Berrettini, 38 and 8 overall on this season now, uh, I believe, or 38 and 9, excuse me, I believe. Seven of those nine losses have been to Tsitsipas, Medvedev, Zverev, or Djokovic. He lost to Djokovic at all uh, three slams that. He actually played the match he lost, and he retired round of 16 to Tsitsipas in Australia. Round of 16, quarterfinals, finals, quarterfinals at the majors this year. He's up to a new career high of seventh in the in uh, the major uh, in the ATP rankings. Excuse me. He's one of three players to hold that over 90%. He's got a new career high in break percentage. This was unequivocally a year forward for Matteo Berrettini, a year where he's won over 80% of his matches. This is a guy in the prime of his career. There's no denying that, and that prime is going to be very, very good. Will it be exceptional? Will it be elite of the elite? Tough to answer that question. Obviously, his game very power-centric. Does he have more off-speed to him? Can he get a little bit more fluid in the outer third so that when he's playing a Djokovic, there can be more than just the serve, the forehand, the power tennis that he needs to play to win a match at this level? That's the question to answer as we move into these next three, four years of the peak of his prime. But Look, it was a, he beats everyone he's supposed to beat. You have to be the elite of the elite to beat Matteo Berrettini at this point. What we learned on day 10, Novak Djokovic is the elite of the elite as he advances to another U.S. Open semifinal. You look for him in his career, by the way, for those of you curious. How many U.S. Open semifinals has Novak Djokovic made in his career? You want to guess? You thinking four, five, six, seven in his career? No, for Novak Djokovic now at the U.S. Open, he has now made, this is his 12th semifinals at the U.S. Open. 12th semifinal for him. You look for him, he's 8-3 and three in his career in this round. The losses, Nishikori 2014. Then you have to go all the way back to back-to-back losses to Federer in 2008-2009. For what it's worth, since I know all of you are curious, he's made 12 at the U.S. Open, 11 semifinals at Roland Garros, 9 semifinals in Australia. He's also made 10 semifinals at Wimbledon. Yeah, I know. What are we doing, folks? We are witnessing greatness. Novak Djokovic now two wins away from setting even more history during the course of his career. Of course, speaking of history, 
We got to talk about what Emma Raducanu has done as an 18-year-old coming through qualifying to advance to the semifinals of this U.S. Open. Of course, we saw her make the round of 16 at Wimbledon. But what the 18-year-old has done, the sort of history, the sort of company she has joined, there is now, uh, you know, she's the third woman ranked outside the top 100 to reach a U.S. Open semifinal. Who are the other two, you're asking yourselves? And this is from the Billie Jean King Cup uh, Twitter account. It was an unranked Kim Kleisters in 2009, and then it was an unranked player, you may have heard of her, by the name of Billie Jean King in 1979. When you are on a list that includes Kim Kleisters and Billie Jean King, and that's it, you're probably doing something right. Of course, you look for Radikanu. She becomes, I believe, the fourth consecutive, uh, or excuse me, she becomes the first qualifier in history to make the women's single semifinals and I think the U.S. Open semifinals in general, male or female, at the U.S. Open. There has now been one qualifier semifinalist at each of the four majors in women's singles competition. You had Christine Dory, 1978 Australian Open, Alexandra Stevenson, 1999 Wimbledon, and Nadia Podoroska at last year's French Open but again, let's be clear. When you're one of four women to do it at each of the majors, when you are the first qualifier period at the U.S. Open to do it, and you're 18 years old, we will take notice of you as a tennis community. And for Raducanu, what was so freaking impressive in this match, a 6, uh, I believe, 3, 6-4 victory for her, indeed, over 11th-seeded Belinda Bencic, was just the way she processed all of the information over the course of this match. You look for Raducanu. She came out, I don't want to say flat-footed, but she came out on her back foot because she was unaccustomed to the pace, to the relentless baseline aggression of Belinda Bencic, who she's playing Mach 10 tennis. She's going big. She's taking her cuts. She's losing on her terms. And, you know, she came out swinging. And she gets the early break lead. And she goes up, you know, I believe it was a quick 2-0 on Raducanu. But guess what? Emma Raducanu immediately responds and it just took her two games to find the range find the pace realize okay I need to be a little bit more aggressive with my first ball I need to make sure I get the ball in the outer thirds of the court because if I leave something in the center uh, then I'm in trouble and so for all of these players it's just extraordinarily impressive and you know um for uh, I mean, for uh, for her to do, have this performance against all of these opponents, excuse me, it's extraordinarily impressive. And so, you know, you see the adjustments she made in the match for Raducanu, 23 winners against only 12 unforced errors. She doesn't beat herself, and she puts herself in winning positions. And, you know, I was joking around, texting a couple people, ask yourself seriously, would you rather have Jensen Brooksby serve or I'm a Raducanu surf. Now, of course, you'd rather have Brooksby's frame because someone who's 6'4 is just inherently has the ability to hit the surf bigger than someone who is shorter than 6'4. But structurally, the way Raducanu leaps into that serve and just gets her momentum into it every time, it's such a clean uh, you know, uh, motion as well and just sets her up for the plus one forehand, which she can crank. And just, you know, again, the way she uses her backhand to absorb, redirect pace, open up angles for herself to play inside in forehands and run around and hit that ball big. You just shouldn't be able to develop and craft points this well and also have the weapons that she has at age 18. 
it's stunning. And of course, you look for Radikanu, who's now 21 and 6 in this 2021 campaign. Again, eight consecutive victories for her here in New York. 125K final in Chicago, two 100K quarterfinals, as well as the Wimbledon fourth round. What's so impressive for her in New York, an 18-year-old is serving at an elite rate. She's made 73.7% of her first serves. For those of you curious, that number amongst top 50 players, 73.7, would rank second behind just uh, that 73.7. Excuse me, it would rank first above Victoria Golubic. In terms of just making first serve, she's the highest of the high percentages there. You look for her in this tournament, and it's only an eight-match sample size, and only one of those matches has been against a top-20 opponent in Belinda Bencic, but for Radikainu, she's won 75.1% of her first serves. That number would be, uh, I believe, ahead of both uh, Naomi Osaka and Ashley Barty, who are at 74.8 and 74.6 respectively. She would rank first in terms of first serve win percentage. You look for her, she's currently winning during this uh, win streak 53.3% of her second serve points. That 53.3% number would also rank second amongst top 50 players behind Iga Sviantek. So as a server, she is in the company right now of the Bardis, Osaka's, and Sviantek's of the world. And if you watch her actually play, it's not that crazy. Her ability to, again, find plus one scenarios, whether it is the first forehanded, her diversity of shot selection with that first forehand, inside out, inside in, short angle, playing the drop shot. She can just do a little bit of everything, but of course when she's on her front foot driving the ball from the baseline, I mean the game is just so easy. For Emma Raducanu, her power so simple and just, you know, again, she's just got all of the physical tools and her mental composure for someone 18 years old in this match. Again, it was on her racket. She was the one who, down the stretch in that first set, was the aggressor, was getting Bencic into the outer thirds and, you know, down, or she was up a break in that third set. 4-3, she's serving, you know, a shaky double fault, a good Bencic point, love 30. Bencic then misses, you know, three of the next four returns, and there's a good shot from Radikainu in there as well. Radikainu holds for 5-3. Bencic, after then going down an early deficit, ends up holding for 4-5. She gets another love 30 lead via the best point she had played in probably an hour, a 20, you know, a 15-20 shot rally. She ends up winning, uh, plus a Radikainu double fault. And then there's just a couple of big plus one shots from Radikainu, a couple of big first serves, and a couple of missed returns from Belinda Bencic. And Emma Raducanu is into the semifinals of this event. And again, for Raducanu, she just forced Bencic to blink. Bencic was the one committing the errors. Bencic, 19 winners against 21 unforced errors. She only won 43% of her second serve points. She was, you know, there were two different Belinda Bencic's. When she was on her front foot, she played Raducanu evenly. When she was on her back foot, she got crushed. And that is crazy to say about an 18-year-old, that an 18-year-old on her front foot can play emirotic, uh, that an 18-year-old on her front foot can play a Belinda Bencic, who was your Olympic gold medalist, who was, I think, 13-1 in her last 14 matches entering this battle. And Raducanu looked like the more established player. There was not, again, an ounce of fear. There was not a moment of hesitation. She was just exceptional throughout the course of this match, and you look for Radikainu now with this semifinal, it's a life-changing result 
because now you're number 51 in the world at 18 years old, and you can play the schedule you want to play. Not only will she be getting wild cards into Indian Wells, into you know all of the major events if she doesn't get in on her own ranking, but guess what? Now she'll pretty much get in on her own volition. She doesn't have to worry about slam qualifying anymore. You're into the slam main draw. She can go play, you know, instead of 100Ks, go play WTA-level events and just... That's what's so exciting for all of us is we get to see the sample size extended because 21 and 6 here in 2021, uh, all 100K or higher level matches, two Grand Slam second weeks. Look, Raducanu was an, you know, she was making Junior Slam quarterfinals when she was 15, 16 years old, and she was playing Futures events at that age as well. She has prepared her entire life for this moment, but the moment has arrived. And of course, that is something certainly us tennis fans have to take note of now of course on the flip side if you're Belinda Bencic just too tentative down the home stretch she didn't play her best match after playing extraordinary tennis through again the start of the Olympics to really through to the start of this quarterfinal round she blinked a little bit it just got a little bit tentative wasn't swinging freely and part of that was because of the pressure this 18 year old was putting on her all of the credit in the world to Emma Raducanu, 6-3, She advances again to her first Grand Slam semifinal, youngest player since Maria Sharapova, 2005, to advance to the semifinals in New York. But, of course, she's one of two teenagers in this court, uh, semifinal as well as she joins Layla Fernandez in the round. For those of you curious, the last time two teenagers played head-to-head, and I believe this was from Ben Rothenberg, Serena taking on Martina Hangis. I want to say that was 1998-1999. So for your perspective, I was three, four years old. Um, you know, I'm sure some of you listeners weren't even born the last time that that happened, but that's the last time we had a two-teenager final. Could happen again today as Thursday's matches feature one again in each match, but that's the sort of context, and we all know, obviously, Hingis, Serena, I'd say they went on to have pretty good careers, so obviously I'm a joining exclusive company uh, with her results, first qualifier in U.S. Open history to reach the semifinal stage in singles. Of course, those were, I would say, your most notable results on the day. Of course, why Maria Sakkari, the fact that Maria Sakkari, I should say, made her 6-4-6-4 victory over Carolina Pliskova look so unnotable is a testament to the growth of Sakkari this season. I know I've mentioned this a couple of times. She has improved her first serve win percentage in each of the last six seasons. Subsequently, she's improved her hold percentage in each of the last six seasons. That number now, 71.2%, good for 19th on the WTA Tour. She's ninth in break percentage, new career high for her this season, 41.7. That number good for ninth. Again, she's a top 20 player, top 20 club, one of eight players to rank top 20 in both hold and break percentage. You throw in the added component, she may be pound for pound the fittest player on the WTA Tour. Her combination of movement and strength not only has the first serve turned into a weapon, the first forehand is a weapon. If she connects on a first serve and you are stretched, she's going to put that first forehand, whether it's inside out, cross court, she's going to put that ball away. She had enough pace on her strokes to expose, you know, that fact that Carolina Pliskova is never going to be the most fluid mover and was so smart for Sakari throughout the course of that early first set and throughout the course of the first set match in general. It just felt like every one of her plus one balls were going to the opposite side of the court. So if you're on the deuce side, it doesn't matter where Pliskova taking the return, Sakari's going to the ad side of the court. Same deal on the ad side. It doesn't matter where 
Pliskova hits the return, Sakari's going do side. Just to get that side-to-side movement going, and then you open up the, I'm going to hit behind you. Then you open up the short angles, the down the lines, all the other things. You get Pliskova thinking. Now, this was Carolina Pliskova's worst level I have seen from her since probably before Wimbledon. She just, you know, it wasn't her best serving performance. She made 61% of her first serves, but only won 69% of those points, 48% of her second serve points, 14 winners against 20 unforced errors. However, I do think a lot of that had to do with the fact that Sakari was just making her life a nightmare. And for Maria Sakari in this match, she goes 41 of 49 on service points in general. She dropped eight points on serve. She won 84% of her service points. That's an elite performance. She out serve botted perhaps the best serve bot in women's tennis, and she's much more than that, but in Carolina Pliskova. Sakari outplayed her from start to finish. And again, for Maria Sakari, 23 winners against 12 unforced errors, 11 of 12 at the net was just clicking in all facets of the game. She's peaking at exactly the right time. Now, was it a match too soon? You, I, I always like to think in the course of these events, you want to peak come the semifinals, ride that wave in the finals. Of course, for everyone, ideally, you say, well, I want to play my best match in the final. I'd like to peak there. But that's not how it works. You can't just expect to peak on command in a Grand Slam final, unless I suppose you're Novak Djokovic. What you want to do is be peaking towards that final, play your best match in the semifinals so that you are at your maximum confidence entering that final round. And then even if you're a little bit off, you still have that belief. You're like, well, I just played at my peak level in the semifinals. I can find that level once again here today. Now, perhaps there's some coaches who are listening to this podcast who say, Alex, that's BS, and here's why you're wrong. But uh, that's always been my belief and, you know, something I've expressed to others. You peak in the semifinals, you coast into that final match so that you ride that wave. Anyways, point being, that's Maria Sakari right now. She is peaking and riding that wave, and you look for Sakari here. She becomes the first Greek woman in history to reach the U.S. Open semifinals with this victory. Maria Sakari up to a new career high, number 13 in the live rankings, perhaps even more impressively. She's accumulated the sixth most points this season. Now, there's a big cluster, big bundle of players between, you know, five and really 17 who are all between 2,000 and 3,000 points. But, I mean, Sakari's sixth. She has been the one. Semifinals in Miami, semifinals Roland Garros, semifinals Abu Dhabi, semifinals here at the U.S. Open. Just delivering result after result. Ten wins for her over top 20 opponents this season. She's 10-7 and seven overall in those matches, 31-14 and 14 overall on the year. It's just been, you know, again, one of eight players in the top 20 club. Unequivocal step forward. You know, she was the more physical player. Just Pliskova couldn't hurt her. And if you can't hurt Maria Sakari, she's just too fit. I don't know how you're going to beat her. And so I am fascinated by her match with Raducanu tomorrow. Certainly, I think that's the best form of any opponent uh, Raducanu will have faced. And I think that's going to be the biggest physical challenge, perhaps even more so than Cerebas Tormo, because while Cerebas Tormo will grind with you, she just doesn't have the weapons to hurt you as well that Maria Sakari does from the baseline. So again, Sakari, second semifinal for her at a slam this season. She did it at the French Open. She does it again here in New York with a straight set victory over Karolina Pliskova. Another straight set winner on the day, Alex Zverev, who, look, Zverev's going to Zverev. And as always, if you haven't, Racket Magazine, Slate.com, read Ben Rothenberg's piece discussing the physical and emotional abuse Zverev uh, allegedly uh, 
did uh, on former spouse, Alia Sheriff's spouse, former girlfriend, excuse me, Alia Sheripova. It's just such, you know, I'm struggling with my words here because you read the stories, they're just so powerful, and you just you get enraged that there hasn't been a more proactive response from the ATP. Nevertheless, the reason it keeps coming up because they've got an emerging star on their hands. Alex Virov's found it. He's 16 consecutive wins now, dating back to the start of the Olympics. And, you know, it's his fourth semifinal now in his last seven slams. And you look for Zverev during that 16-0 stretch. He would be ranked fifth in hold percentage, first in win percentage on his first serve, first in break percentage. He's just – he epitomizes the modern game. 6-6, can crank a serve 135 on command, flew it off of both the forehand and backhand wings. You shouldn't be able to move as well as someone his size does, but he doesn't sacrifice any power for that movement. He was just simply put better – at executing the game style that Lloyd Harris, who's very much a modern tennis player as well, 6'5", 6'6", all of those descriptors that I had for Zverev applied to Zverev, uh, Harris as well. Zverev was just better at it. 21 aces for Zverev to Harris's 13. 82 win percentage on the first serve to Zverev, uh, Harris's 75. 47% win percentage on the second serve to uh, Harris's 34. 43 winners to Harris's 34. They both had 26 unforced errors. Zverev 12 of 15 at the net. Harris 7 of 11. Lloyd Harris played well. And of course, again, I have mentioned this earlier in the tournament. He won over two-thirds of his matches at the ATP level this season on hard courts. I believe now 19 and 10 on the year. So about two-thirds of his matches with his results this season. The final, it was either Doha or Dubai. The you know quarterfinal run here is up to new career high of number 31 in the live rankings. You look for him in terms of points accumulated on the season. He's accumulated the 20th most of any ATP player it's a step forward for the 20-year-old South African who doesn't have to worry about things like Masters qualifying at the start of 2021, who's going to get to go into that clay court season knowing, okay, I've got a little bit of margin for error for myself. I can play freely because I've got this big uh, stash of points banked at the end of the year, and that freedom will allow him to you know, continue to work on his craft on that surface because you look for Lloyd Harris. It is so clear he is going to have success on hard courts. He gets the win over Rafa at the City Open, loses. Is 7 6 in the third to eventual finalist in Canada, Riley Opelka. Harris has the goods. If you can't, you know, if you don't have the length, the wingspan to absorb that and put that first serve return in play with the depth that Zverev does, and that's what makes him so crazy, is beyond the serve bot type numbers for him of late, uh, that he does still have all of this dynamicism in his game, uh, uh, dynamic, whatever the word, however you say it. Hey, great shot. Uh, that he also has that gear to him as well. Harris is still developing the off-speed stuff, the fluidity in the outer thirds. He's also continuing to work on moving forward and capitalizing on the fact that if he is in the center of the court and you give him time on his forehand, you're in trouble. Inside in, inside out, his ability to get his body weight behind that shot, move forward behind it as well. I mean, again, Zverev was just better at it than uh than Lloyd Harris was in 4-0 he's now won 15 of 16 sets at the U.S. Open 37 of 40 overall sets during his 16 match win streak I mean yeah Zverev's found it right now and so you know we get the primetime matchup we've all been looking forward to as Zverev's going to take on Novak Djokovic Zverev beat him at the Olympics Zverev was up breaks in three of the four sets in his loss at the Australian Open it's a primetime match. If you're the USTA, and I know I tweeted this yesterday, so I apologize for repeating myself, but the storylines you can sell, 
Djokovic's pursuit of history, the teenage revolution, top three men's seats, because Daniil Medvedev's still alive at this event as well. And by the way, Felix is pretty damn good too. Talk about a young rising star. You've got the O Canada narrative, the fact that you've got Felix and Layla, your uh, neighbors uh, uh, making a New York run. You've got in the wheelchair event, both Elcott and DeGroote also going for Golden Slams. There's just, you know, Query Johnson and Givram, Americans still alive in men's doubles, women's doubles. There's just, you know, Gabby Dabrowski, that's another Canadian having success. There's a lot to sell. If you're the USTA, and I'm expecting sellout crowds, I'm expecting good television ratings, particularly with Djokovic pursuing history. After a year with no fans, things have broken awfully well for the USTA, and so I hope, deservedly so, there are some celebrations going on right now in HQ. But again, that's day 10 of your 2021 U.S. Open. We've got women's single semifinals on day 11. I previewed those matches on our GSP Ace of the Day segment, which actually I mentioned at the top are going to be uh, previews moving forward. According to the odds, Maria Sakkari still a slight favorite. There's been some movement. She was minus 160 last night, down to minus 145 against Emma Raducanu, who's plus 120 underdog. Sabalenka was minus 360, uh, moved all the way down to minus 310, now back up to minus 350 against Layla Fernandez, who's plus 270. Tennis abstract obviously going to be a bit lagging given the lack of sample size for the two teenagers, but they've got Sabalenka as an 80.7% favorite. They actually have Sakari as the more heavy of the favorites at 83.8%. Uh, it's interesting. Again, should be two exciting matchups. I don't want to give away. Uh, here's what I'll say. Go listen to the podcast. I do 12 minutes on each episode. I break them down uh, on each match. Excuse me. So, uh, you know, for the for not so as to not have to repeat myself, I'm taking Sabalenka and Sakari. I've been wrong about the teenagers all pod. You know, I'm a next gen guy. Sakari and Sabalenka are my 96 to 99 crew. Those are the players I've been watching so closely over these past you know three four years. We've been doing the pod. Um, but I pride myself on my next-gen takes, and I've missed on Fernandez and Raducanu throughout this tournament. Nevertheless, I'm going to stick to my guns. I'm going a sabalenka Sakari final. I just can see the narrative. It makes sense to me. Um, enough said. Go listen to the podcast. Give me the two favorites. Uh, of course, again, men's side, we're still a bit far away. But for those of you curious where the lines have opened up at, Djokovic minus 260 over Zverev, who's plus 195. Medvedev minus 650, heavy favorite over FAA. Boy, don't those four matches sound fun? Again, should be an extraordinary championship weekend in the year's final Grand Slam. And of course, if you've missed out on any of the action, you can catch up on it all here on the Mini Break Podcast. We've done daily recaps to ensure that you listeners have all the information you need to enjoy the year's final Grand Slam. Of course, again, those daily previews, daily picks each and every day on the Great Shot Podcast feed. You can uh, find the pods wherever you listen to your shows. And of course, like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. You can find all of our content on the website, crackrackets.com. If you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Pod. A shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, for the <laughs> of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out, as well, to our friends over at Tennis Point. Remember, it's tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, 
for Super Producers Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. That's the break, and we will talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 